Ah, crap. We gotta come up with a few episodes while we watch Hyperforce. Well, why don't we look at some comics? Like this one, Batman. Oh, man, but we don't do superheroes. We do Power Rangers. Batman's a Power Ranger. It's not Batman! Sappho, I'm Ashley. And I'm one of Brainiac's little bottled city Sid. And this is Ranger's Lane, where Sid, enthusiastic lifelong Power Rangers fan, takes me, Ashley, reluctant new fan, through the world of Power Rangers and Power Rangers accessories. This month and next month, we're going to be doing some team-up comics so we have some buffer while we watch Hyperforce. Uh, and if you've seen Hyperforce, you know it's long. So for this month, we are starting our comic coverage with the first crossover that Boom Studios did, uh, specifically Power Rangers Justice League. So what's it about? Let me tell you. During an attack with Zed, the mighty Morphin Power Rangers end up in a dimension they are unfamiliar with. Stranded with their powers and zords, the team come across a super-powered crime-fighting team known as the Justice League. After some misunderstanding the two teams end up banding together to save both the dc universe and angel Grove from monsters and the evil super team of lord zed and brainiac uh so yeah this particular comic as we said was the first crossover book uh that boom studios did and we're covering another one next month you probably know uh so our writer credits for this or uh, rather our comic credits for this are tom taylor as the writer uh artist and color stephen byrne Letterer, uh, Daron Bennett, and our cover artist across the entire book is Carl Kershaw. I fucking love Carl Kershaw, by the way, and I'll get into that later. Um, so, now, for this episode, we are doing it a little bit differently than we, how we usually lay out an episode. Um, as you know, we usually will talk about, um, kind of a little bit of the plot, and then kind of go through the characters and all of that, but... Considering the fact that this is a crossover episode, or rather a crossover comic, with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which we've covered ad nauseum at this point, like, you all yeah, know you Kim and Tommy and Kimberly and all that, um, I'm also just gonna assume you all know the, who the Justice League are, like, we don't need to explain who Batman is to you. He's a scientist. It, it's... <laughs> <laughs> That is true. He is a scientist. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's like, we I don't think we need to discuss, like, who a lot of the big DC heroes are because they they are just so ingrained in our pop culture at this point. Like, you don't have to read comics to know who the fuck Superman is. Yeah, and, like, even the lesser known, like, main five on this particular team are Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, and Cyborg. And even then, Cyborg has been in Justice League movies and Doom Patrol. Um, and uh, I don't want to get into the Snyder Cut. 
but teen still. T- <laughs> we, we can also say, like, Teen Titans, too. Like, yeah, Teen lot, Titans, yeah. Like, a lot of us grew up on that, that, that cartoon in our teens, so yeah, we, and we definitely then, know what Cyborg is. Yeah, and then, like, John was in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, so, like, we don't, like, even if you haven't seen that, you probably have seen John Stewart around, so we don't really need to explain those characters. Um, but I think that one thing that we kind of did want to touch on with the plot, the particular plot for this before we kind of go, um, meandering downwards, uh, to kind of talk about stuff is that it's very interesting to me that this particular book, while it doesn't focus on one particular person a whole lot, like it's a very much an ensemble piece, the emotional arc and through line is through Zach. Yeah, it's, it's like you... When we see the beginning, uh, the beginning actually starts uh, in media's res, I think, because it's like we see Zach feeling guilty about something. Yeah, it's like when the comic opens, it looks like Angel Grove has been destroyed and he's feeling very guilty about something. And Superman basically has to give him a pep talk. He gives him a a traditional Superman pep talk, uh, which is very well written, I I might add. Um. But yeah, so so we know something is up, something has happened, and Zach is feeling very guilty about it, and it looks like he's been having, like, troubles with his parents, if I remember right? Yeah. About, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, kind of the the coming of age bit where, you know, you are be- you are becoming more of an individual um, mm-hmm. with over your parents, but also, like... You know, him superheroing and having to keep it secret is causing some tension because, you know, his parents are wondering, is it, are you okay? You know, you've been, you've been out lately and you haven't been telling us where you've been going. And, and, you know, a lot of things that parents of teenagers feel worried about. Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird that, like, that never really came up in Power Rangers until, like, recent times. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, like, I get it when, like, in the 90s, like, no kid wants to see a teenager getting ragged on by their parents about what they do in their free time. But, like, it is kind of weird that Zordon does just uh, have, like, these teenagers on his beck and call to save the world. And they can't talk to their parents about it. So, yeah, I mean, I would see, like, a parent being concerned. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and yeah. then you add in that the, the fact that they help Angel Grove run. Yeah, that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's a little less pronounced in the comics, but yeah, like, basically, the Angel Grove would fall apart without these teenagers, like, helping clean up the park constantly. It's like, it's like, where does it, where does your tax money go? Definitely not your police force. No, like, you're, (laughs) it's like you employed Bulk and Skull for fuck's sake. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um... And um, before kind of the events get rolling, he he was he got into a bad fight with his parents about this because you know Zordon call called them in, and so they you know they were bickering about that, and so mm-hmm. that's on Zach's mind. Well, all this weird interdimensional stuff happens, and then like later, like kind of in the middle of the story, you know, towards getting getting closer to the end and mm-hmm. towards the big. It's leading up to the big battle, basically, is when right. he watches um, Brainiac capture the city. 
he does get in a talk with his parents and they're you know the parents are on the other side of the bubble and his parents are like oh we love you zach okay you know and and, we'll, and all that and then you know brainiac turns into one of his you know bottle cities basically yeah so like i feel like that is it was a very interesting route to take and i'm i don't I can't speak for Tom Taylor or anybody involved in the creative, why they decided to go with Zack. Maybe because it's just a little unexpected because Zack, for a very long time, didn't really have, like, an emotional carry-through the way a character like Kimberly or Tommy would. Yeah. I think Tommy was in the comic, right? Yeah, Tommy was in the- yeah, Tommy was in the comic. Yeah, sorry, I just blanked on that. But yeah, it was kind of interesting that they chose someone who isn't Tommy, basically. <laughs> right, yeah. To, I mean, because to... Tommy always gets all of the focus, like, it feels like. And we'll touch on that next month when we talk about um, Mighty Morphin Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think it just, it felt like a very interesting choice. And like I was choice that I welcome to kind of have Zach be your kind of emotional through line through the story yeah um you know essentially what is a you know a toy box smash em up yeah and a really really good one too that really kind of surprised me mm-hmm. um for like you said a toy box smash em up that they did something that uh very emotional and um i guess serious maybe the right word i don't know if that's the right word. yeah i mean you do definitely want to get because I mean, one, you have to come up with a reason why these, you know, characters are meeting in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the 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 Teen Titans Teen Titans Go crossover cartoon did something similar, where like they had to come up with an excuse of why there's this crossover, and it was like a, a portal situation. Um, so yeah, like you kind of had to come up with an excuse of why you'd have these characters meet up and also give them stakes to like invest in. Cause yeah, you could have the whole, like, you know, everybody has those conversations about, Oh, who would win the, the justice league or power Rangers or, you know, teenage mutant Ninja turtles or the power Rangers or who the fuck ever. But like to have it, like you can, you can make those like stories all day long. Like there's a YouTube video about like, the you know the power rangers versus voltron um so like you could do those all day long but like to have an actual story out of it you need to set some sort of emotional arc and stakes yeah and in this case the stakes are angel grove is in danger we need to save angel grove um and also the danger is coming from another dimension yeah and uh, I also, yeah, again, I I also welcome having Zach being used as that emotional through line and exploring more with him. Yeah. Uh, just, just, yeah, again, it's like it's been, one of my major gripes with Power Rangers, and I think you've latched on this too, mm-hmm. is how, because Tommy is so popular, mm-hmm. uh, particularly from the original Mighty Morphin, like everything feels like it needs to revolve around Tommy at some point. Mm-hmm. And so that gives very little, like people don't, 
I guess it's like it feels like if very little want to explore the other characters as much and what they're doing or if we're going back to Mighty Morphin, their emotional arcs and stuff. So Yeah, like, because even as much as I complain about everything kind of has to go back to Mighty Morphin, um, because, like, even in the comics, like, it's very based around Mighty Morphin versus any of, like, the other Ranger teams come in occasionally especially after you know starting with shattered grid moving forward but like it definitely is like it feels like it's often the mighty morphin show but even when you break it down further sometimes it turns into the tommy show and i'm just like i wouldn't mind tommy so much if like if the series was not so determined to attach onto a character that a bunch of kids liked when they were five yeah it's like i get it tommy's somewhere where the money is but it's like i feel like we can move on from tommy there's been better characters yeah there's even better characters than mighty morphin we can look at so like zach <laughs> yeah like zach so yeah this that's all to say that we're, we're really grateful that they went with zach and it was a, a definitely an interesting and welcome choice yeah um so like we said, we're kind of doing a different flow this episode because, you know, char- like we characters, we, there's no real kind of change of arc of these characters. Billy's still smart. Superman's still a Boy Scout, you know. So we're just going to kind of go into, like, odds and ends and um, how we... And just kind of shoot the breeze on some of the stuff we noticed. One thing you wanted to talk about, really, and um, kind of give this whole explanation of how this happened is the Lumberjanes Gotham Academy crossover and how that gave us this. Yeah, so um, back in 2016, and I'm sure this was in the books in 2015. No, it was in the books. They were like, that's when they were running it. But so back in like the early to mid 2010s, um, this is when we started seeing kind of a big thing of a lot of there was a lot attempt to kind of have more young adult comics to kind of reach out, especially to girls and, you know, young queer kids. And two of those books, one at Boom Studios is called Lumberjanes, which if you're not familiar with Lumberjanes, it was co-created by Grace Ellis, Shannon Waters, Indy Stevenson, and Gus Allen. Um, And I'm hoping I'm remembering Gus's name right there because I just found out that they had changed their name or sorry he changed his name um but he doesn't really have much of an online presence currently so hopefully I got that right um but yeah so they co-created the series that was about a group of teen preteen teenage girls at a summer camp and they're going on various wild supernatural adventures and this book ran for years I might add it just recently finished like two years ago if i remember right and lasted for 20 volumes and they had a couple of like changes throughout the book too like cat leia ended up being like the main writer for like the last kind of chunk of the book um but yeah like it was a it was a huge hit for boom studios and they and i love this book too i got way behind on it and i'm currently in the middle trying to find all the books and catch up um but basically, it was all about these girls and their friendship, but also included stuff like queerness, where, like, 
one of the girls was trans, two of the girls were dating each other, um, one of those girls had a kind of a bad home life, or multiple of them did, um, and, you know, we also had one, a story arc where this one kid from the boys camp across the lake wanted to join the Lumberjanes, mm-hmm. uh, which is similar to the Girl Scouts in this case, so, but then you'd also have stuff like, you had a, you know, a camp, like one of the camp, the, the, one of the adjoining groups was, uh, was, uh, headed up by like a Greek goddess or okay. had like monsters in the woods or mermaids in the lake. Like it, I, oh God, Lumberjanes is just so fun if you've never read it. Um, and just, it, like I said, very gay and just the characters are so lovable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so but at the same time that lumberjanes was starting up there's a book and i'm gonna gush about this one too because i love it so much the book at dc called gotham academy which is one of the best most underrated books dc has ever done uh basically gotham academy was kind of a young adult book focused on a private super creepy super gothic school on the outskirts of gotham and, like, it was specifically focused around this group of kids that called themselves the Detective Club, um, Olive Silverlock, Mass Mizuguchi, uh, Pummeline Fritch, uh, Colton, whose last name I'm forgetting, and Kyle Mizuguchi, who is, uh, Maps's older brother. And basically, it was kind of this, like, group of kids that would just, they were investigating the mysteries of Gotham Academy, while also kind of dealing with... Olive going through this really emotional arc about her mother who passes away halfway through the uh halfway through the series but also was a villain who uh under the name Calamity who had like basically fire starter powers and it it, yeah so it was written by Brendan Fletcher and Becky Cloonan with art mostly done by Carl Kershaw who I just previously mentioned because he did all the cover art for this book um, so art by Carl Kershaw and I believe Mingu Helen Chen came on. They had a diff- a few different artists, but Mingu Helen Chen came on in the second arc. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've never read Gotham Academy, I highly recommend it. And it's wild to me that like DC shortly after the book was canceled, uh, they started doing this line of books, basically these short graphic novels for young adults. That would basically kind of have these alternate universe takes on various, like, superheroes. Like, uh, one of the books I I definitely have read is um, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, which was written by Mariko Tamaki and uh, the art by Steve Pugh. Um, and I have a wish list full of them because I've read some of these books, including their one their line for children, and they're really well done. But I'm kind of surprised Gotham Academy has not come back for that particular line. Um, but, uh, there, they are, there's a story that's going to be coming up in this back to school special that is specifically Gotham Academy, and I'm so excited, but just to get back on topic. So in 2015, there was a crossover written, uh, that was being published through Room Studios, but it was a deal we made with DC where they were, they had a crossover book for six issues. So this particular book was written by China Clugston Flores, 
uh, with art by Rosemary Valero O'Connell, inks by Maddie Gonzalez, also art by Kelly and Nicole Matthews with Jenna Ayub, with colors by Whitney Kogar and letters by Warren Montgomery. Now, I don't know how much this is considered canon within either book, but basically it was just a fun little crossover where due to, like, portal shenanigans, like... This group of Gotham teens meets up with this group of, you know, weird supernatural, like, teenagers experiencing supernatural stuff in the woods, and they end up experiencing supernatural stuff in the woods. So that's, like, a fun delight. Yeah, it's, like, it's really fun. Um, I think if you're a fan of both um, Lumberjanes or Gotham Academy, you'll probably enjoy it. If you're familiar with one book or the other, like, you might be missing something, but I feel like it's a fun introduction to both series in that regard um but yeah so that was technically the first dc boom studios crossover book and so that opens the door for this like power rangers justice league because i think they had just gotten the the power rangers license when they did this crossover yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I think that still having that relationship, I don't know all the details, but like still having that relationship and open the door to having this particular crossover. So they kind I think that's why it does it feels a little disconnected from the rest of the Boom Studios like characterization of the Power Rangers and we'll talk about this more in the next episode. But like it, it feels kind of disconnected from the the boom studios continuity but also a little disconnected from the main continuity of the tv show yeah it's it's very much its own standalone thing which i don't think it really works if you're not familiar with the power rangers but like it's still a pretty fun book in that regard yeah but yeah i just wanted to open that door to gush about both lumberjanes (laughs) and gotham academy and as of the recording of this i am rereading gotham academy now that i finally have it all in trade because I, w- I literally had single issues of that book that I bought constantly from my local comic book store or from people who worked on the book. To the point that Brendan Fletcher, the the one of the main writers of the book, like along with Becky Cloonan, Brendan Fletcher would literally bring me like copies I didn't have to cons. <laughs> like, and he would so like I, I would try to pay him and he'd be like, no, take them. I'm like. I don't know, like, Brendan Fletcher's probably not listening to this, but I hope he knows that I love him so much. Like, he is literally one of the nicest dudes in comics. Yeah. But, yeah. um, Yeah, so read Lumberjanes, read Gotham Academy if you haven't read that after you listen to this episode. Uh, And basically, yeah, this... I don't think this particular crossover would exist if this, like, if that particular book was not successful and did not come first. Yeah, like it got it got the foot in the door. Yeah, for kind of that relationship to open up, and then later we had uh, this. Yeah. So. Um. Oh, yeah, you you wanted to touch on this next point, but I also agree with you that um. You so you can go on with it. All right, Billy. I really love uh, one of the things that I do appreciate when a good kind of toy box crossover does happen is mm-hmm. when they put together like characters that you would want to see interact and they they had this kind they had a like relationship go on with like billy and cyborg and they're just kind of you know freaking cuties about it yeah because like i think like that is pretty typical is that they would just kind of match up characters that like 
have similar things but yeah those two are like peanut butter and jelly so yeah so they kind of like get this new friendship that kind of carries over the book and it's really adorable there is kind of also a bit of a camaraderie between wonder woman and kimberly um which uh i guess i'll touch on that in a second (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh yeah i really i really like that they did develop that because then later you had that like really tense situation when brainiac hacked cyborg and Mm -hmm. the rangers had to deal with that and it it, like led to billy having to stab cyborg and it's like sorry i had to stab your new friend billy yeah i mean when that happened i was like damn okay yeah okay billy yeah like clearly cyborg was fine like he didn't stab anything vital but yeah oh man that's still gonna be rough yeah and, and you know when they got cyborg you know back he was like oh man what the fuck happened not like, in those words but yeah you know, they had to describe what happened to him but it i really liked that there was kind of a bit of a, a uh like a attention maker later mm-hmm. and everything almost like a, a payoff because they actually took time briefly in this mind you but took time to actually kind of develop them having a rapport with each other yeah which like i think is also helpful if you want to build beyond a kind of having just a generic conflict in like the first issue yeah there's a particular structure that this book uses that gets used again in the teenage mutant ninja turtles crossover and i think also the godzilla one that's currently running as the time we're recording this is kind of the first issue has the two teams in conflict with each other and then they realize that they have a common enemy and a common problem. So then the next few issues are kind of like the the rest of the series is them solving that. But also the Rangers get in danger at some point. So the other heroes have to step up and help them. While the other Rangers kind of have to, well, the Rangers come up with a creative way to still be in the fight. And then it yeah. usually ends with a giant sword fight. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it it's it's similar to how a Power Rangers episode is typically laid out, except, you know, Power Rangers actually do lose their powers at some point. Yeah. Um, like, especially, like, I think in issue three or so, like, they literally lose the, the coins, or the coins don't work because they're cut off from their home world. Yeah, it was something weird like that happened. Yeah, but it is interesting that they're at... They do end up getting so basically the to help them cr- uh, protect their identities. The uh, Justice League is just like, oh yeah, raid our closet and see what you can find in there. And so basically, <laughs> like they find like a bunch of like I pulled up the list here on the Ranger Wiki, uh, but I also wrote it down because it was funny because like Jason puts on Red Hood's costume, Trini dresses up like Katana, um, Billy dresses up like Prometheus. Uh, Tommy uses Lex Luthor's power suit. Uh, Kimberly puts on Hot Girl's helmet while also using the boxing glove arrow. And, uh, and and I think she's also using Hot Girl's mace at the same time. And then also Zack dresses up like Nightwing. <laughs> so it is, it, yeah, I just found it funny. It's just like the Justice League's like, oh yeah, just raid our closet. It's fine. It's fine. Just, just grab outfits. Yeah. So it does lead to a really funny kind of crossover moment where they're just, they are literally just dressed up like other characters in the DC universe. (laughs) I guess kind of moving on. So like a big kind of conflict point 
is uh, so Alpha goes missing, and you find out that yeah. he's kidnapped by Brainiac and Zed. Is kind of being used against his will to to help power like Brainiac's schemes. Yeah, um, but he's okay though. Like he's he under like he knows that the Power Rangers are going to come through and save him. And also at some point they make him grow big. <laughs> I think doesn't like a decoy Alpha explode too. Like that's like a big thing that happened. Yeah, like they think Alpha's dead. <laughs> it's like, but don't worry, he's okay now. He's huge. Yeah, Alpha gets huge and, like, punches out a monster and it feels kind of guilty about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of go back to, to, like, the character interaction stuff real quick. Uh, you mentioned uh, the stuff between Kimberly and Wonder Woman. Like, yeah. You really like that. Yeah, and it's it's not for not for a sexy thing, but it does happen at one point when, like, the, the way that they stop fighting is Wonder Woman do what Wonder Woman do. And she wraps up the supposed villain in her golden lasso of truth and gets the actual, like, what's going on out of them. In this case, Kimberly. But there's that panel where it cuts to Kimberly. She's like, I just had a very intense conversation. And she's there in her ranger suit wrapped up in the golden lasso of truth with Wonder Woman, like, standing over her. And I'm like... Uh, it's just one of those moments where you just remember, oh, yeah, this character has a very kinky origin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's not a secret everybody well not everybody knows that about wonder woman but like some people are just like i love when people see old wonder woman panels and they're like huh this is kind of horny and then like oh that's on purpose <laughs> yeah you, you just kind of find out that it's like no it was written by a guy who was really in the femdoming yeah because well his belief was that femdoming would save the world I don't, yep. yeah, it's like, that is the most basic way to boil down William Moulton Marston. I don't want to get into a whole, like, thing about the history of Wonder Woman and William Moulton Marston's, like, weirdo, like, beliefs that you would just be like, okay, okay, what, uh, you are going off into some directions that I cannot follow, but I will say, I am one of the few ardent defenders of the book Wonder Woman Earth One by, uh, Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette. Like, mm-hmm. Grant Morrison, that beautiful, weirdo, non-binary Scottish writer of legend and weirdness, like, they basically decided, oh, I'm gonna, like, tell a story of Wonder Woman that is, like, looking back on the origins of William Moulton Marston and his intention with the book and wonder woman as a character and it, it it goes down some very interesting paths i know it's a book that not everybody cares for or gets but i love that i love that series i love wonder woman earth one so if you kind of wanted more of an idea of what kind of weirdness william moulton marston like was would, would be planning for wonder woman that's a good take um professor marston and the wonder woman it's i I didn't hate the movie, but it's it is definitely very very fictionalized. Um, I will say I don't think his family was like I, I get his family being mad that they weren't involved, but also just the whole like oh his like his two wives were basically like sisters. They weren't gay for each other. It's like I can't yeah. comment on that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'll I'll say um, I'll, yeah, like if you just want to go look into William Moulton Marston on your own time. 
very interesting guy. He's, um, he was a very interesting man. I yeah. feel like I, I, now I wish we invited Emma for this podcast. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Friend Our, of the show, Emma Hoopla. Like, yeah. hey, can talk about Wonder Woman right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're just kind of rambling at this point to talk about Power <laughs> Rangers in the middle of this. But yeah, I, I just, it's like one of those panels where it's just like, oh, this is somebody's kink. Yeah, the origins of Wonder Woman really is today's episode, uh, the writer's barely disguised fetish. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Like, I, I think Gail Simone did a thread about that where she said the kinkiest letters she would ever get of fan requests were always when she was writing for Wonder Woman. <laughs> and she, like she said, I don't mind it. The character has been based in kink and is all, will always be based in kink. But, like, she would just talk about, like, I would just get the, like, just these letters of people just with their very specific fetishes wanting to be included in the book. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just anytime Wonder Woman ties someone up, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, that's a thing. That's a thing. But but speaking of, of sexy things, there there actually was, uh, as I note, ooh la la, sex and Power Rangers. Okay, because uh, <laughs> of the implication of when the Justice League were called on that, like Black Canary and Green Arrow just finished up having sex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it is fully the implication, and I might be kind of colored by this because I just read like not too long ago. I just read a uh, Bloodsport. No, Bloodspell. Uh, Bloodspell Blood by, sp- yeah, not, not, Blood Sports, uh, <laughs> Blood Sports, uh, like, a, a wrestling thing. Well, wrestling thing based on a movie. Um, but yeah, Bloodspell by Paul Denis and Joe Quinones. So mm. that particular book, uh, is about Black Canary and Zatanna teaming up, um, due to shenanigans involving magic. I won't get into, into it. But even in that book. Uh, so there's literally a scene where Green Arrow and Black Canary finish having sex because uh, Black Canary has a very loud orgasm that breaks a vase in another room. <laughs> if you are familiar with Black Canary's powers, you understand why. Um, and then literally they're in bed, like, cuddling when he turns on the TV and they see that somebody that Dina had known from something that happened a year prior had just been killed. So that kind of leads into the rest of the book is literally that they have to, like, get, like, jump out of bed, get dressed, and then go, go do some detective work. Yeah. So, but literally they are in somebody's bedroom, like, Dina is fully dressed but ollie is putting his shoes on <laughs> it's like he he's slow to get ready yeah so i'm just like either they're just at home like they were just at home chilling and then had to quickly get ready but in my mind they just got finished having sex i think she just <laughs> finished like getting herself dressed and brushing her teeth and all that yeah he was still lying in bed yeah I will say I did kind of love the choices they had for like the reserve team of Justice League members because you had obviously you had Dina, the Black Canary, and Green Arrow. You also had Aquaman and Mara, uh, Shazam, and um, two of the Teen Titans, specifically Starfire and Beast Boy. Yeah, 
That was that was pretty neat. Yeah, and then also like going further in, there's also Supergirl, Jessica Cruz, um, Hot Girl, Kid Flash, uh, Batgirl. Yeah, I mean, there, it was cool seeing all these other characters kind of jump in for an issue to be, like, uh, Justice League reservists, but they don't hang, along, hang around long enough to really make a note of it. Besides, like, hey, they're there. This is extra cool. Look at this cool panel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, uh, there's a wonderful bunch of one-liners in this. Uh, I said one of them that I really liked about when Kimberly was like, I'm having a very intense conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a way to describe being forced to tell the truth by a golden rope from by an immortal Greek demigoddess. (laughs) Yeah. There's also, like, lines like... So basically, in the second issue, they run into this whole thing where monsters start attacking all over the world. So they have to quickly get, like, they, that's why they call in the reservists to kind of, so everybody kind of goes to the four winds and helps mm-hmm. save the, the entire, like, Earth. And so the rangers come along to help them. And then <laughs> Zack says to Batman, okay, you... We Okay, you. We have a monster to take down, and your teleporters are out. I'm your fastest way to Australia. If you want to join me, there's no time to argue. Batman, get in the Mastodon. <laughs> Which is just like... I That was the first panel I saw from this comic, and it like even before we did this podcast, and I absolutely lose it every time. Because it's just such a great line. <laughs> It really is. Yeah, and then, like, there's, like, in the first issue, there's also all these, like, ridiculous stuff, like, that I had written down specifically. It's like, Miss, I'm gonna have to ask you to land your pterodactyl. That one was super good. I, like, laughed. Especially because, like, because Clark knocks on the side of the... It's like, (laughs) Miss, I'm Clark. (laughs) Hi, I'm Clark. (laughs) I'm Clark. I'm a good boy. Yeah, I mean, because the lead into that is like, there's someone up here with me. Someone flying. Flying in what? Um, just flying in the air. (laughs) (laughs) And then Flash at one point says, Batman's been taken by a flying pink dinosaur robot. (laughs) Um, and then like, there's one a little bit later that was kind of like surprisingly funny that I am spacing on right at the second. I can't remember who said it, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's just a lot of great one-liners in this book about just sort of the ridiculous stuff that happens when you have two very different sets of superhero teams meet each other. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, yeah, that's just something that we really liked. And, like, uh, another kind of big, like, thing that we really love about this book is that there's really a lot of good action sequences and pages. Oh, now oh. I remember... Now I remember the other thing that I, like, remembered was that basically they literally go to CERN and, uh, (laughs) this is the truly the only kind of ridiculous crossover fuckery that can only happen in comics, is that they have to go to CERN and ask to use the Large Hadron Collider to open a a portal back to the Power Rangers universe using the Dragon Dagger. That was... So oh, like, this. yeah, it is specifically Clark says, um, 
and he's like, hi, you're doing a great job here. Um, I need to ask a favor. Sure. I mean, you're Superman. Name it. We need to borrow your large Hadron Collider. <laughs> it's the Hadron Collider. Is it's like it's the Hadron Collider is buried two hundred feet two hundred thirty feet down, and it's the largest machine ever made. Um, and then basically he said, "Hey, the fate of the world depends on it." And then uh, Flash is like, "We'll give it back when we're done. Promise." <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's Barry as the Flash in this book. I didn't. I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> like five million flashes. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, but yeah, kind of going back to the the action sequences. Uh, a lot of really good ones. Uh, particularly, I liked when they would do. Um, one of the things that they would do was when there were like battles on multiple fronts. They kind of let like the I don't know how to describe, it, but like. You the paneling like lines weren't there, and you could sign of see like heads or swords or something popping in from the other panel. Oh yeah, kind of give that neat little transition. Yeah, like they also do similar with the morphing powers in this, and it like it is very cool the way that they do it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it was just especially uh, yeah Stephen Byrne. I think just gave it a great kind of sense of like action and space. Yeah. Which I think is, you know, very important for something like this. Because you don't want it to be static. Because something like that, you want it to be very... Like, obviously, there's static images you're looking on the page. But you want to give it a sense of motion. Yeah. Like, be very dynamic, basically, with it. And, like, so so many... There were so many, like, good choices of just kind of making that action very dynamic. Yeah, very dynamic. And the characters are very expressive in this, too. Oh, Yeah. So, which is, again, something you need for something like this. Um, and then we kind of uh, have, of course, with crossovers, you have great crossover bits. Um, I love that we wanted to make the joke of Lex Luthor money. Yeah, Lex Luthor money. Or money. as I said, Lux bucks. Lex bucks, if you will. <laughs> um, but, you know, you also have, like, stuff like, when they, you know, they raid the armory at the, um, the state, the space station, um, which I forgot the name of the space station that the Justice League is based off of, but, like, um, yeah, they, so they raid the armory, and, like, they specifically, for Kimberly, like, Wonder Woman gives her the, the punching glove arrow, um, which is one of, like, uh, Green Arrow's, like, specific, you know, kind of famous arrows that he uses, and, like, it comes back later, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and Kimberly's like, I, I want to use this forever. <laughs> She's like, hell yeah. You know, I think it's just with, you know, kind of the conversations and also kind of logic of like, um, I, I you know, at the bit at the end where they're all eating at Ernie's juice bar and, um, well, one, Batman literally stares down Bulk and Skull because they're being annoying. My favorite bit about this is Bulk and Skull have referenced in the show Batman before. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm glad we got B Bulk and Skull. And not only did we get them, they were interacting with Batman. Yeah. And it's just Clark just gives them that thousand yard stare. <laughs> uh, oh, don't, but, don't you mean Bruce? Yeah, sorry. Bruce gives them the thousand yard stare. Because Clark would never do such a thing. <laughs> no. Clark would be like, what, what are you kids doing? You need yeah. to... You, do, do you are your parents home yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um and of course like he tries to pay and they're like hey um you can't use that money here we've we've never had that president 
<laughs> and I think other bits were like again we mentioned the, the rating of the armory and they literally have to go to the UN to be like hey so we're not from here <laughs> or rather Don't. no the Justice League has to go to the UN in Angel Grove or, or rather in the Angel Grove universe and the Power Rangers universe and be like hey so we're not from here but we have the Power Rangers with us and we need you we need you to listen to them because the world's in danger <laughs> yeah which leads to a very interesting moment of them talk like I think I want to say it was, like, Jason and, like, I think it was Jason and Trini have to, like, talk to the UN while dressed as the Red Hood and uh, kit- uh, Katana. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I got it wrong. It was Kimberly as Hot Girl, um, J- Tommy in that Lex Luthor power armor, and Jason in the Red Hood um, armor going in front of the UN with Wonder Woman. Who has to, yeah. like, deflect bullets from, like, a high-powered security guy after she's being trying to be held back by, like, five of them and she keeps walking. Don't fuck with Wonder Woman. Don't fuck with Wonder Woman is the lesson there. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of great kind of crossover moments. And, like, again, emotional moments, funny moments. Uh, something interesting I found was the... At one point, they kind of remarking on how... Like, the Justice League is remarking on how young... The Rangers are, which is kind of hilarious given the fact that, like, the the series, like, sometimes DC can't decide if, like, the, you know, the younger heroes are, like, in danger and are, are approved of by the other, like, stuff, like, the other heroes or if they're accepted, but, yeah, they're basically remark on, oh, yeah, they're so young, like, they're barely teenagers. So... Kind of the final bit is, uh, sorry we lied, we have to put Alpha down, is uh, basically kind of the, the uh, like, a, sometimes, like, crossovers, they might do, like, a weird teaser of, oh, we might we might be back, but uh, essentially, uh, Brainiac hacked Alpha. Yeah, and it's Alpha, now they're stranded from the other rangers, and it's like, oh no, Alpha's, Alpha's possessed, we gotta put him down. We gotta put him down now. But, Sorry, Alpha. Yeah, I mean, I found it interesting. Is apparently like uh, Tom Taylor, I believe, or it might have been either Tom or Steven, had basically joked that like if there was a sequel, there would be uh, that the Justice League would get their own Zords. Oh, nice! Which would be cool, and I hope there would be a sequel someday. But yeah, this like that it ends on such a fucking sequel hook that it makes me kind of sad that there wasn't a follow up. Yeah, because like. Alpha being possessed by Brainiac after this big, like, multiversal adventure is, like, a little worrying. Yeah, it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so, we're about we're about at the end here. Um, so, uh, our verdict on this is, uh, it, it's pretty fun. Yeah, no, agreed. It's really fun. Um, franchise crossovers are a big thing I'm into, and... Well, Power Rangers hasn't had good ones in the past, particularly the one in In Space. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, however, was just, it was super fun. Uh, just a little romp in the, the toy box mashing um, together your favorite teams and making them uh, fight a bit bad. Uh, with good art and good one-liners, it, it, this is a nice afternoon read if you just want something breezy and fun. Yeah, 
What I really love about this particular crossover is that the creative team absolutely realized they were handed a toy box full of action figures and decided to run with it. It has emotional moments and stakes, but it never seems to forget that it's a Power Rangers and Justice League crossover. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but in a way that allows for some really exhilarating fun that something like this should be. All right, that's it for this episode. So, as always, we want to thank Kate Nix for our amazing theme song. You can find her at katenix.com, where you can find her band camp, merch, and her streaming. As of the publishing of this podcast, she's coming back with a new show called The Summoning, which I believe is happening on Tuesday nights. Uh, stay tuned to her Twitter and Instagram, which is now Zintac, or Zinatac. It, it, it's her name backwards. Um, so if just go follow her on Twitter and Instagram for more updates. Um, and we also want to thank Joe Hunter for our podcast art. You can find him on joehunter.threadless.com, on Instagram as Joe Bloody Hunter, on Twitter as Joe underscore Hunter. That's also his Patreon. He's also got Beast Heart Strikers running with Land Pits, as well as uh, backups in the comic Radiant Black, which you can pick up at your local comic book store. I believe uh, uh, Beast Heart Strikers is also back on Comixology now, so go look for it there. Uh, and then for Kurt Yoder for editing our podcast, you can find him on Twitter at the Great SG, as well as Great SG Pixels, uh, which has his Perler art, and Great SG Creations on Etsy. Our wrestler of the podcast will be. Uh, Kind of a WWE wrestler for this case, but uh, we have Nikki Cross, a.k.a. Nikki A.S.H., almost a superhero. Uh, she's the tough, toughest tootinous superhero in all of WWE currently. I haven't watched the product in a while, but I still love her, so we chose her. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under Miss Kitty F. I am trying to use Instagram a little bit more. I should carry that over for the Rangers playing Twitter. Uh, and then you can always find my stores online, uh, specifically my Square site, ashley-leckwell.square.site, where I have uh, cloth masks, books, zines. I should be getting tote bags up sometime this summer again. Uh, so yeah, come and find me there. All right, and then you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram under Velociriker. I also have my uh, store where I sell uh, many types of apothecary, just like candles and soaps. Uh, Coda's Magical Crafts, and you can find that um, on Twitter and Instagram at Coda's Crafts and at, at TikTok at Coda's Magical Crafts. And um, I both have a Square and a Etsy store, and you can find that um, in the bio link uh, in the social medias. All right, and then for us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram under at Rangersplain. Our Patreon as well uh, will be Rangersplain. And then you can find all of our show notes and links to our episodes where you can listen to us uh, at rangersplain.wordpress.com. Anywhere that you're listening to us, most usually it's uh, Apple Podcasts, but there's a few other websites that allow you to rank as well. Wherever you're listening to us, if you can, please give us a five-star rating. So that way that we can beat the algorithm and get out to more people. That's a great way to support us if you can't support us on Patreon. And we would like to give a special shout out to our $5 patron subscribers. Griffman, thank you so much for your support. 
And now next month, we're continuing our comics crossover coverage. Try saying that three times fast. With the Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover from Boom Studios and IDW. Until then, stay safe and may the power protect you. Go Rangers!